Jess. I'm Chris. And I'm Jake. And this is episode... You don't want me to do the episode numbers, do you? <laughs> it's stupid, but you already started. It's, it's 68. episode 68, and I'm only excited about that, and the uh, 16-year-old boy in me knows that next episode is 69. Yay. So I, I was really excited that that's what was today, but it's not. No, so, got your hopes up. Um, so this is our first episode that we're actually broadcasting live for our Patreon subscribers. That's so, right. So if you are not a Patreon subscriber and you want to watch us live um, on video... You can. So you just go over to patreon.com slash overcrest. Correct. And you can sign up there. You can get uh, $5. You'll get you a T-shirt for $5 a month. $10 will get you a T-shirt and a print from me. And a little update on those for people that are waiting. I ordered some prints, and I didn't like how they turned out. So oh, I ordered, really? So I ordered new ones. So I'm just trying to make things really right for you guys. I'm not trying to take forever on purpose. I just want to make sure what you guys get is quality. Is quality and something that I like. And I'm I'm kind of like, especially with my photography, it's got to be right. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm sure you're your Critic, right? Yeah, I'm you know? a critic. So I want it to be really good for you guys. So uh, anyway, that stuff's coming out later. So. Awesome. So this is kind of our first regular format episode after the whole uh, road to rent sport. Trip. I know. Yeah, I was. I've been. I've been out of here. You've been delinquent and right in your duties. <laughs> Correct. And uh, so this will be. Yeah, this will be our first regular. We're almost almost sort of back on schedule. We might change the schedule of when we actually are recording. But it doesn't but matter. It won't, for it them. won't affect you no. guys. Um, it'll actually make it a little bit better for you guys. Sure. In a way. Um, yeah, basically, we're just going to record closer to the release date instead right. of a few days ahead of time. So I've been working on my car. As, okay. as, as if anybody's listened to the last episode, they know that uh, my brakes failed <laughs> right. in uh, just outside of Denver. Right. So I've been working on my brakes, getting those figured out, getting that sorted out. And it turns out it needed a new master cylinder. So I bought And that's what you suspected. So it was actually the master cylinder. I suspected it was. So I ordered, there was two versions. There's a Euro parts version. Okay. U-R-O parts. Right. Which is, it's not Euro, it's China parts. (laughs) Right. That's the name of the manufacturer. It's completely misleading. It's not Euro parts, it's China parts. Um, So. (laughs) Um, That wouldn't market as well. It's $74.95. Okay. And then the factory one is anywhere from $200 to $400. Depending on who you want to spend your money with. And because it's brakes. You kind of wanted to go I looked up online, I'm like, everybody's like, well. You know, it's the same casting. It looks exactly the same. I'm like, well, even if it's the same casting, I bet the rubber seals inside, everything that's, you know, where the where the push rod inside the master cylinder is going. Right. I bet all that stuff is Chinese rubber garbage. Well, yeah, even the quality of the the cast material, right, the metal, that changes too. Depending. Right, yeah. It doesn't yeah. matter if they're using the exact same mold. Exactly. It matters well, what I they're putting like in it. Maybe they were actually using the exact same part sure and then just and they just assemble it with different internals so i got the good one because i don't want to die how much did you spend on that it was like 275 dollars okay or whatever it was it's fine yeah you know it's brakes i wanted to get the good part so the problem is is that it's a one of the it sucks it is difficult to get to it's underneath the skid plate on the bottom of the car right and you have to pull the master cylinder so you first you have to disconnect it from the pedal cluster yeah which was actually pretty easy i just took the cotter pin out i just remembered i didn't put the cotter pin back in <laughs> so you've been driving around with brakes that might fall off. Well, th- there's no way for it to slide off. I don't think because it goes. You don't. It's like a think. rod that comes out and it slides onto the pin. Right. The no, pin. I can picture it. So it's you. I don't know how it would ever come off of there. Since I would recommend putting that cotter pin back. I will though. do that. Yeah, yeah I'm that's definitely going to do that. Um, I, I took it out and I'm like, well, I'm not going to reuse this because you don't reuse cotter pins, which I think is kind of silly. Well, you don't reuse cotter pins because it's a not. I certainly do. Do not. Why? <laughs> you should not reuse. I, I guess I haven't 
don't changed out that many cotter pins. You don't. Well, a lot of them are on like drum brakes. You'll have like the nut that goes on, and then you have the cotter pin. Oh, that goes sure. On. There's like a castle yeah. like safety sleeve that yep. goes over the nut. You don't want to reuse cotter pins because they they bend once. Yeah. And it's one of those things where if you bend it like three times, they break. Yeah. No, you're right. I'm actually. I was thinking more. What do you call like the the trailer pins, where it's like a loop, like a clevis. Clevis pin, yeah. Yeah, like yeah, I don't know what the what the thing is that slides into what it's the, called. The clevis pin cotter pin? The clevis pin pin. Clevis <laughs> pin pin, yeah. I thought it's a clevis pin. It might be. Maybe well, whatever. Anyway, so I uh, I pulled the master cylinder out. It's okay, it's not too bad. There's three um three uh, lines. Three lines on yep. the side. And there, you know, use your flare wrench because the metal's always garbage. This is the first time I ever <laughs> took all the brake stuff apart on the car and uh-huh. didn't fuck anything up. Well, that's good. Nothing stripped out. There was no problems in that way. But there's, uh, because the, the master cylinder is on the bottom of the car, right above the skid plate where like um, the gas lines and stuff are also right. kind of down there. Yep. It's really far from the reservoir, which is like on a normal car, you have a, the brake booster, the master cylinder comes out the front, mm-hmm. and then you've got the um, reservoir just the sits on reservoir top just of the master there. cylinder. So you just go and you pull it off. Sure. This has lines that come down from the reservoir and go into it. Okay. So it's, it's, Plastic lines that go on, that are pressure fitted onto a um, flanged piece of metal, like okay. just a brake line, flared brake line, and then that goes into a rubber boot, which then press fits into the master cylinder. Okay. So I knew immediately when I it was really hard to get out because they're it's stiff, right? You don't want sure. fluid leaking. I knew for sure it was going to be a super pain because they were <laughs> the ones that i pulled out were trash they were dry crack right. bullshit. The new, okay so it, you have new new flare it came with them okay good so it came with the new with the new uh rubber grommets sure so i was trying to figure out do i put them in the master cylinder and then try and shove them on do yeah I try and put them on the on the lines first it it was awful i tore up my fingers because there's no because you have to push them in while it's in the car Okay. Like they're not long enough to. I right. tried moving the reservoir out and pulling the lines down. Yep. There's that no didn't slack, give you any. Nothing. So I'm like in there trying to like press these things in. So then I I pulled out the lines, put the grommets on the lines, shoved them up the line, put yep. the flare in the master cylinder, and then used like a hook pliers to pull them into the master cylinder. So that worked. And that was after trying like, do I do it this way? Do I right. do it that way? What's the right way to do this? Anyway, so that's. It's done. That's done. Good. And the brakes are incredible. (laughs) I I didn't know how bad my brakes really were because... What do you, was it the master cylinder the whole time, you think, was just like letting fluid go by? I bled the brakes several times in that car. You know, from, you know, having the suspension all apart and having the calipers off. Yeah, so it shouldn't be the fluid or... Shouldn't be the fluid. Like, I got a lot of air out of one of the lines. Huh. Okay. But that could have been what was in the master cylinder. Right. it's full air. I didn't bench bleed it because I have a power bleeder. Right. So normally when you don't have a power bleeder, you have to put the fluid in the master cylinder on the bench. Yeah. That's on your workbench and get the fluid going in there, pressure back and forth a few times. Because just actuating the cylinder won't get all the air out of the lines when you do it. A brand new master cylinder in the car, so you have to do what's called bench bleeding. Yep. But with a powder bleeder, you don't have to do that because it, it just pushes it, it just in there, forces all the fluid through. Yep. And I use my super illegal Ate Blue. <laughs> yeah, I uh, saw that for racing fluid. So the car is full of contraband. Everybody, if I crash, will think that I've spilled washer fluid all the way around. <laughs> Which is the worst thing ever, Which, right? Yeah, yeah, it's horrible. I guess that's it's, terrible. I would think that is washer fluid flammable because it's basically alcohol. Or is it not, is it washer fluid? Yeah, it's alcohol. No, it's isn't it? mostly it's mostly water though. Water with alcohol in it, right? Because otherwise, it would freeze the second it hits the windshield in the winter time. Right. Well, I mean, they do have different formulas. You have like the negative thirty below stuff. Well, maybe that the, stuff's flammable. 
I doubt it. Yeah, probably not. No, I think it's still like mostly anyway, water. Anyway, the brakes are, are incredible. They're like super firm, like huh. really, really, really stiff and linear. Right. And I really, and now the heel toe has become a lot easier because when I, because the pedal doesn't drop I, so far. Well, it, yeah. So you would drop, when you're braking really, really hard, it would almost drop past where the pedal is. Sure. Yep. And then you try to stick your, like roll your foot over and it was harder. Right. But now under like, you know, threshold braking, really hard braking, it's right, the, the it's gas right pedal's there. right there. Yeah. It's really, really nice. And um, with the, and then I adjusted the clutch too. Okay. Which was out of whack. So between doing the clutch, getting that figured out, the new transmission and brakes, that I feel like I'm driving a new car. <laughs> like it's it's unfamiliar. It feels, it okay. feels weird. Like I'm not sure where the because I was so used to the way the brakes were. I'm like, okay, I need to be able to brake this much before this corner. I've done this a gajillion times. Oh, but now, now they're you, way better. Yeah. Like I must have had one brake or two brakes that weren't grabbing all the way. Or just, so you can actually brake later. I now. can brake a lot later. Wow. A lot. Significantly <laughs> later. Um, to the point now where threshold breaking new corner is is fun. It's like really fun. I was I'm just not surprised. scared. I'm just surprised at how good it it really really is now. Huh. Um, you know, it's interesting for how terrible that master cylinder was to put in. That's why in the later cars, I think it was SC cars, they put them up above. Well, that's because that's where the brake booster is. Oh, because they have power brakes as power well. Brakes. I don't sure. have power brakes, right. so there was no reason to to do that. So it's it's really like a four inch rod yeah. on the end of my brake pedal. Just it makes sense in theory. Oh, we'll just put the master cylinder right here, right? And but when you're a Nazi, you're an asshole. So then you just make it really really hard <laughs> to deal with. Well, I mean, it, I guess uh, it's not an item you have to change out that frequently either. No, I mean this is the original one. I'm sure right. it's been in there for forty six years. Yeah, right? so it's gone. It don't have to worry about it anymore. I feel. I feel kind of like almost nervous a little bit that it broke like just after I'd been in the mountains. Like yeah, that could have been bad. It could have been really bad. Right, for sure. Some of the roads I was driving in. So it was kind of like a reality check of like, hey, don't got to remember. Don't be an idiot. Don't Things be an break. Idiot. Things break. You're still driving a 46-year-old car. True. But now I feel like everything has been kind of sorted out mm. for the most part. Like all the suspension is new. The engine's been rebuilt. The transmission's different, but it's good. Like the brakes were our big safety thing, right? So now right. I think I might go through and try and I might rebuild the seat belts. Okay. And maybe do a couple other safety things. But one thing that I've really been thinking about ever since Turbo <laughs> Tony talked to me at Road yeah. America that one time is doing a turbo in my car. No. And I mentioned to, um, I was at uh, HOT with my buddies the other night, hangout time. So we call it, we hang out <laughs> right. every Friday night. HOT and uh, Aaron from Flat Six is there. Yeah. So he hangs out with us. That's how I, I know him. I've known him for a very long time. Okay. And I had been talking about um, my buddy Steve that was on the road trip. This is his first HOT okay. since whatever, since we went. And so we were talking about the trip and stuff and how yeah. he had to adjust his fuel, blah, 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 blah. And um, I was like, you know, I really wish I would have had more power because you basically you get at towards the end of Nebraska, end of North or South Dakota, you're at about 3,000, 4,000 feet there. Right. And then from that point on, you're like 5,000, 7,000 feet all the way to California. I wonder what the actual power loss is per elevation change. You know what I mean? I'm sure the lin- there's a, f- a linear. Right. I'm sure there's a formula or something to know. Like, the, it, well, it's, were it's you, gonna depend. were you like a hundred horsepower down? Were you, I was, at, I bet I was 75 to a hundred horsepower down. Yeah. I bet I was, it was, it's pretty marked difference. It's really, huh. but you got to keep in mind. It's also air is not just density from elevation. It's also, right. um, humidity. Sure. Um, the temperature, temperature yeah. you know, hot or cold air versus right. humid or dry air versus elevation. So there's, I doubt there's like some sort of linear 
right. curve that would make any well, sense because there's, there's too a much. lot of factors. Yeah, right. Um, but I mean, they do have barometric sensors, right? You know, that yeah, in modern to, EFI, that but they, those also are are coincided with intake air temperature sensors, exactly. and air fuel sensors. So all these different sensors work in concert together, right? Not just like one thing. Because I think the MFI pumps back in the day have like a, a barometric sensor that's kind of like a dumb way of doing it. Oh, really? It's, yeah, it's got like an elevation thing that will sure. add or retract fuel. And I think those that is kind of the way that they, I think they use that with turbocharging a little bit, is they use that sensor to like help enrich in the fuel sure. in some of the turbo cars. But I we were talking, I'm like, you know, I, I really would like to do a turbo in my car. And Aaron's like, well, I have a bunch of turbo parts if you want to buy them. <laughs> and I was like, well, I kind of do. So then we started oh, talking about what we could do because I, and then a couple of the guys were like, "Oh, why don't you just do like a standalone and you know blah right. blah blah." I'm like, I, I really like doing things in like kind of the OEM way, Kay. trying to find out a way to make it work with factory parts. Kay. It's almost like a little bit of a challenge. So I think what I'd have to do is run like Giro 930 parts from like 70, whatever, Kay. and then um, so it would be CIS still, right? It would be intercooled, so I'd have to run a ducktail. Okay. And uh, I have to uh, the the turbo on the a whale on, tail. No, a ducktail. Oh, really? Okay. Ducktail. Um, the turbo on these is like pretty low. You know, on a, like a normal turbo car, like a one eight T from a Volkswagen or right, something. Right. It's up by the cylinder head. And, and then the return, the oil return from the the turbo is gravity. Yeah. Right. It's gravity. Right. The oil leaks out of it. This because it's at the bottom and it's a dry sump. The turbo has its own scavenge pump. Okay. Which pulls the, tur- the oil through and deposits it back in the oil tank. Right. And I have a seventy two, so I don't know how I'm going to how I would do that. So oh, that's sure, because that would be different. So the intake manifolds will be different. The fuel system will be different. You're going to have to go through your, your jugs and heads, though, too, yep. because so you're I a have, high comp. So I would I think that uh, we talked about doing a high higher compression, lower boost. Okay. Um, the, the thing is, is that when guys have turbos and they want to build power, they use my motor, <laughs> like my cylinder heads, because I have big cylinder heads. Oh. Basically, with different cams and different pistons, my motor's like, your setup. It's good for four or five hundred horsepower. Oh wow! I was like, when when he said that, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it almost was like I don't want that much power. I'm like, I want like three hundred horsepower. He's like, what are you going to run like three pounds of boost? Oh you really? Because it's it gets pretty ridiculous pretty fast. So oh, I'd have wow. to change out my cams and change out my pistons. Sure. And put the fuel system together and get the turbo and everything else. And then I would have a car that would run really well uh-huh. with some of this elevation, and it would be. Really, really quick. It'd be really fast, really savage, especially with these tiny tires that I have. And I'm almost like, just, it's the power is not what I want. Like my car feels pretty quick to me right now. I agree. Then you what know, are you after? I want the runability for when I travel because I go somewhere at least once or twice a year where I'm in elevation and you get up to. Then just do standalone. They're right. I don't want to stand. <laughs> no, I don't want to standalone. Also, will not cannot compensate for the air density completely. A turbo, when it's when it's spinning, it will increase its RPM to right. meet the absolute pressure requirement of the wastegate spring. Right. So it will spin harder to in the wastegate until it opens. It'll just more right. RPM. So you're going to get that air no matter what. If you have a naturally aspirated engine and you're running in the mountains, you can't just right. Get no, more you'll air. still be down on power, right. but at least it'll run well. My car doesn't run badly. Okay. I mean, it's you just, just... Yeah, you just want the power for when you're going to the elevation. Yeah. You don't be, live in the mountains, though. You're I, not driving the car in the mountains that much. 6,000... Let's say probably 4,000 miles this year yeah. was spent in elevation. Okay. Out of how many miles did you put on this year? Probably 8,000 miles this year. Okay. 8,000 or 9,000 miles. So half of my driving experience this, this year, year 
and the year before that, and probably the year before that, because I always travel with that car. Okay. So I've been in the Appalachian Mountains. I've been out. I yeah. No, I, I'm not disagreeing with you on that. I just I'm, I the cost is what I'm putting together in my head. Why would it be that expensive? I'm using. Um, I'll get pistons. That's probably a thousand dollars. Okay. I'll have. Uh, I'll buy all the factory parts. I'll sell my CIS, which is restored, really nice. Sure. Everything works. I bet I can get fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars for that. And I can probably sell. I would keep my gearbox I have now because it's taller gears. Oh, for boost. For boost. And then I could sell my other transmission. Sure. You know, figure out what's wrong with that thing. Maybe get some two or $3,000 out of that. Okay. I think I could come out of this kind of almost maybe not dying from <laughs> being broke. I think I could maybe make this oh, work. Jeez. Yeah. <sighs> Something, I don't know. I just can't. I know it'd be fun and there'd be so much power, but I just, I love my naturally aspirated engine. I Especially do coming from like, and I know this wouldn't be like a home built throw together turbo system like I did in the MG. Yeah, but that just kind of turned me off to like, okay, turbo lag and everything else. Here's and like the thing: complexity. Aaron heat. said with my um, with my. That's another thing with my heat. My heat wasn't much better on the trip, so I'm going to actually change out the thermostat that goes to the oil cooler okay. this winter. Um, but my ports are so big yeah. on my... It's one of the bigger ports that Porsche so did. So you're saying you won't have a lot of leg? I will have a lot of leg. You will have a lot of leg. I'll have more turbo leg. That's why he's like, you should run higher compression, lower boost. Sure. To okay. try and like work on the leg, because it be it'll be laggy. Yeah. You know, which I don't like that. I don't know if I like it or not, because when you drive a car with You've that... You've had like, turbo cars before. I've, but I, I've never had anything with a bunch of power that is able to just like turbo legs kind of fun oh it is i know you know it's kind of like yes you know it kind of just comes in and just i don't know there's something so pure about just like a naturally aspirated i agree high revving engine i cannot afford to do a bigger horsepower i know you know it's if i do carburetors on my car and do cams it's gonna be like five or six thousand dollars jeez yeah for what, like PMO yeah, carbs? Yeah, for getting PMO carbs is $4,500. A set of okay. carbs is 1000 bucks. Yeah. Plus whatever miscellaneous crap. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. That you're going to run into. Better springs and who knows oh, what my, else. The motor I have, it's the motor I have is fine. Okay. The, the cylinder heads are like dialed in. They've got really nice springs in it. They're good for like 75, 7,700 RPMs. I kind of built the, the motor knowing. Why can't you just spin it up higher? Just because it won't the do it. The CIS is can't just, handle I can't. It. There's okay. not enough airflow. There just isn't. Wow. And I have pretty mild cams in my car. My The cams in my car are basically from a 964. Okay. So yeah. that's basically So just a more on. modern stock cam. Right. Yeah. So it's just got a little more duration, but not much more lift. Because if you start getting the cams too aggressive in a CIS car, yeah. Um, anytime you have really aggressive cams, you get a little bit of combustion leak back into the intake charge. Okay. Because the duration is so long that when the piston starts to come back up, it pushes air back into the combustion, not yep. the, uh, like into the cylinder head. Right. Into, into the, the intake, intake charge. And with CIS, that it literally plate, the flap that it starts to bounce. Oh, okay. It starts to move and get sure. turbulent, and then your fuel mixture starts to get out. You just can't. Yeah. You just can't do it. So, huh. and I learned that back on like doing Volkswagen stuff. Oh, I ran like two eighty eight cams on yep. CIS. And the thing with idle it was like, it was like really, really, really shitty. Great at wide open throttle. Yeah. Terrible everywhere else. Oh, really? It was not no drivability. No, no, none. No, okay. not at all. So, well, I'm I'm like skeptical and excited to see what's going on uh, with this. If you're gonna move forward with it, but I, uh, I don't know. It's it's I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Why not? Why that's, not? I don't know. That's it. That car doesn't. I, I can't. Like, here's a, the a I turbo doesn't belong on that car either. Why not? 
What year? Because turbo. Like, I don't give a shit about that. My motor doesn't belong in my car either. It's I from know. an SC. It doesn't matter. Also, yours. You can't run a ducktail with an intercooler. Yes, you can. Really? Yeah, you can figure it out. It, yes. Okay. Yeah. I thought you always had to have the whale tail, and that would look goofy well, on that a, car. That's a different intercooler, I believe. Okay. I think that's probably you know the, this intercooler I'm talking about is like it's pretty small. Huh. I'm only gonna be running like six pounds of boost. Right. Like very little. I could so, even probably run non-intercooled. Yep. But then you start going too crazy, then you're into like twin plugging motors and stuff like that. But that I can't. I can't do any <laughs> any of that. So. <laughs> Anyway, that's what about supercharging? Do they make a supercharger no, setup for that car? Why? I don't know. Yeah, they do. Simpler? Yeah. No, no. I don't want a supercharger. All right. No, I want to use factory stuff. Yeah. You start using a supercharger, then in your aftermarket parts. Oh yeah. And like I want to use all factory parts that just bolt on that I can look in a book and go, okay, this goes here. This is how this works. True. You know, when you start getting all this aftermarket shit, then all of a sudden you're like, well, you got to call Bob at wherever. Hey, Bob, you know, I'm dealing with this thing <laughs> that you built, and I don't really know how it works, rather than looking through books that have been around for 40 years. Right. And I just, I kind of like the idea of OEM plus with this with this idea. Yeah. I know it would have been great to have more power. You know, you would if you were with me, you would understand. I you, know. You, especially when you're climbing up the switchbacks I, I, and you're trying to be sideways and you have to like pop the fuck out of the clutch to get the car <laughs> to spin around because there's just there's nothing it's there. It's just nothing there. I and think the thing won't rev past like 6800 RPMs because it's just like it's just choking. I, I think the bottom line is when you said you, you just can't stop with that car. I can't stop with that car. It's, yeah. got, it's I have to continue to evolve that car or I will get bored and it will get sold. What about restoring the interior? You still have things in the interior that have been cleaned up? Yeah, not really. I mean, I okay. can do the carpet, but Let's, was that money for me? Yes, actually. Oh, it is for me, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks. Is you're that welcome. a tip? Is it for my grade? Is that the start of my turbo uh, No, that's piggy bank? because we're talking about Porsche parts and I just remembered that. Yes. All right. So, um you also have other things going on. Yeah, I don't even care. I traded my Golf and got a Tahoe. Moving on. Did you fix the headlights? Yes, from the nobody the gangster smoked headlights. I got rid of my, I got rid of the golf and got a Chevy Tahoe for towing stuff and whatever. Towing what now? My snowmobiles for like one month out of the year. Yeah, let's hope. Anyway, so you, uh, <laughs> I see on the notes here that you almost stuffed a 911 into a guardrail. Yeah, my my car. So uh, last weekend had a lot of fun. Met up with one of our buddies, Chad, who has a white SC. That's not Chad from SCI, their sponsor. So another yeah. Chad with another white SC 911. And he's we, the one that did beer group with uh, our friend Lewis. Exactly. Yep, he's a cool guy. And just kind of random text messages like, hey, what's everyone doing this morning? Does anyone want to together go for a cruise? And Chad was like, yeah, I can make I can make that work. So we met up at a coffee shop and just explored some fun roads right outside of like St. Paul, Minneapolis that I didn't really had never explored before. Sure. You can go. I didn't realize you can go into the infield in MSP Airport. Did you know this? No. There's like a service road for like FedEx and stuff that goes in there. And so it's four lanes wide. There's no traffic. It goes up and down under tunnels, under the um, runways and stuff. Great. And it's now twisty. everybody is going to go find I know, that. Yeah. I know. It's super fun. So he showed me this. And uh, I will say best part is like, so he was like showing me all these roads and I was just following him. I just want to hear the part where you almost crashed. Can we get to that part? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> there's a, it's, it's somewhere near the airport. I can't remember the route we took, but it's an entrance ramp that goes from like 55 to some other highway. And so it's kind of like a weird S entrance ramp and doubles back on itself. Yeah. And he has a lot more tire on his car. Correct. That are not like 10 year old tires. Yep. 
and it was colder out, so it was a little slick, and it's an SC. So he was able to really like go through this, and I'm trying to follow, and like I'm starting to get more comfortable with the car rotating it and how it feels, but all of a sudden, there was just understeer. I came into the brakes into a corner, just understeer. Really? It wasn't like I whipped the ass out and like lost control of it. It was like guardrail corner. I'm turned this way. It's not rotating. Just not just nothing just there. nothing. So like it slowed down enough and finally grabbed like right as I was approaching the curb. Oh, and it, there was guardrail there that's too. Less dramatic than I thought it was. I know. It, but when it happens, it's like at least oversteer. I don't know. I, it probably would have been worse. At least you have fun while you're crashing. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what Under it is. Understeer is just like w- uh, nothing's happening. Go, go, go. Right. So it was really fun. Had uh, oh, and the best part of that is so like I'm following him out to the airport, and then when we get at the end, it's literally just like a turnaround, and then you go back, and he's like, "All right, well you you run now," because like I don't know if he thought he was holding me up. Definitely wasn't. <laughs> but so we're going through the tunnels. Even he's got 50 more horsepower than you do. Yes, but it's a heavier car. So yeah. it yeah, most of the time I can't keep up with him. But in the tunnels, we both just like had it wide open and it was really, really close, actually. Sure. Cool. That was really cool. And also he had his window down and was like right behind my rear bumper. And he was like, I blew an eardrum out. Yeah, you're because my loud. car at wide open throttle is very loud. It is. So that was a lot of fun. Uh also went to uh three eleven RS uh local Porsche shop, had like a Oktoberfest thing that they do every year. Now they mainly deal with like GT3s, GT3Ss, or GT2s. And right. they have like a nine nine three project that they're working on as yeah. well. Yeah, the Cup, the Cup Sport, Sport, which is pretty So sweet. they had four other nine nine threes in line to get that treatment already. Oh, at the shop? Yep. Yeah. They're there. Okay. Yeah. So so people are buying cars and getting them over there. Exactly. That's great to hear. Yeah, so that's really I'm cool. I'm so happy something like that is happening in Minnesota. Yeah, you it's guys, cool. You guys should check them out if you haven't. It's at 311RS. Yep. yep. And so he held a little thing, um, Oktoberfest celebration, and there were some cool cars there. There was a 73 uh, 2.7RS. What would you think of that? I, I'd seen that car before. Okay. What I didn't realize is that they made the RS and then the RS lightweight. Right. So the lightweight is the one that like your bumper comes from where it's all fiberglass molded. Yep. Uh, the just the RS is basically the bigger engine. Just the RS, yes. Yeah, it's just the RS. <laughs> and I know how much those cars go for. So it's right. there's nothing just, just about, about it. it. But that was interesting to see. Career GT was there. There's a guy that really has a Career GT and really drives it around here. I didn't yeah, realize he, how frequently I see that car now. He pounds the hell out of that car. It's, but Glenn and I, our mutual friend, were like sitting on the parking lot as he's pulling away and he got on it when he got out on the main road. That engine just screams. It's, it's loud. a Formula One engine, basically. Yeah, the much. V10 just sounds nuts. Yep, they're, so they're great. That was really fun. Uh, just been working on my car. Haven't been stranded with the lightweight band battery at all. Not yet. Nope. So that's all good. Well, you, have you had to start it more than twice at a time? What do you mean? Have you had to like start it, drive 30 feet, turn it off, and then try and start it again? I guess not. Yeah. Well, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. Yeah. Um, we that that's probably all that I have going on. That's exciting. We do have some listener questions though. Yeah, let's that do we it. We should get into. Yeah, sure. So, um, Tony. Sotil. Sotil. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I was going to screw that up. He asked, winter wrenching season is almost here. What are you guys excited to tear into? And my screensaver just went on. And what project are, or what project or what are, you dreading? are you dreading doing? Okay. 
So I'm hoping to get my garage settled. I took out my old furnace and got new furnace there. So I'm going to have like heat and I'm not going to have gas leaks my and won't blow up in my garage. That's ironic. The, the fan that blows through the, he- the heater doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So it turns itself off immediately. I just got a nice new furnace. Yeah, that's awesome. It's going to be great. So I'm not dreading wrenching in winter season because it's nice and warm. Um, I'm, I have a lot of things in that car to do. <laughs> yes. Well, so what's the what? Since there's so many things you want that need to be done to that car, yeah. What are, what is it that you want to do most, and what is it that you want to do least? But it needs to be done. Uh, all of it. All of. Come on. No, I don't know. Well, what I, are you gonna do first? What's 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 the big one for the? Um, pro, I don't know if I'm gonna drop the engine to go through that. I probably Why? it's like a crate engine. It yeah. just leaks. I would just fix the leak. So I'm gonna fix the leak. New rear bumper. Uh, take off the front bumper, and that's already fiberglass. That's not original, so I'm just going to fill all the trim holes there. Yeah. Uh, do some, I don't know if I'm just going to take it somewhere to get the doors aligned or if I'm trying to futz with that. I don't think you can get the doors aligned. I, I, I know you're skeptical. It just won't happen. It will not It will not happen. I, I know why those doors are crooked. I know. You said it's because the strike plate is like it, the wrong. Gu- the guy that did it, and I was told the story, the guy that did the work uh-huh. did had the floors out of the car, right. had the latch panels out, and then welded it all back together, and it wasn't on any kind of jig or anything like that. <laughs> so, so my car is not straight in any not way, really shape, or form. It's not super straight, but with a little bit of work, yeah, it could be. Yeah, you know, I think the value in your car is not like a stock car. I think if you turn that into like some sort of, if you took everything off that car, yeah, sent it down, had it like acid dipped back to bare metal, and and had that thing painted up nice, and had some guy go through the bodywork. Spend fifty, sixty thousand dollars on it, uh-huh. and put a sweet motor in it. The thing could be worth a hundred thousand dollars, right? Just because it could be a really sweet tangerine hot rod, right? I think that's the future. I'm just yeah. wondering how long it's going to take you to realize that that's what's going on. It'll take a while, <laughs> yeah. But uh, you might, yeah. I would take. I a- I like that it's just kind of ratty right now. Honestly, I realized that as I was driving it over to three eleven and seeing all these like amazing, super high dollar cars that and I pull ever up drives. and just yeah. Don't have to worry about it. Yep. Rock chips, what are those? That's great. Who yep. cares? It's nice. That's it's why very I've, nice. I've always paid my, all the body work I've ever done has been pretty cheap. Yeah. Just because I know it's going to get absolutely flogged. Yeah. No, that's true. Oh, this that reminded me. Um, so when I was out at 311 Oktoberfest, one of the roads was closed there. This is back off topic. We'll get back to uh, to Tony's question. But one of the roads was was blocked, and I like couldn't figure out how to get around it. I was like pulling up Google Maps. It just kept telling me to go through this road. And so I even was like, okay, screw it. I'm going to just go through this gravel road that's torn up and has the closed signs. And so I go down there and it was like a five foot drop, like (laughs) impassable. So I'm turning around and I look and I see two newer GT3 RSs behind me also turning around. I was like, oh, well, obviously they're going the same place. I'm just going to follow them, okay. which was difficult. Yeah, I bet it was. I bet it was. <laughs> but very fun to, like, really push it to try to keep up with these guys, like, for a reason. It wasn't just for fun. It was like, I need to follow where these guys are going because I'm lost. Those things are insane. So insane. <laughs> so nuts. Yep. Sound awesome. Um, so I don't really have any projects that I'm looking forward to or dreading. I just, I got to maybe pull, in the least, I got to pull the motor on the car yeah, and fix an oil leak that's very slight oil leak. By the way, I did fix a massive oil leak. I saw that on your Instagram story. One of the return hoses One was of the like return loose. hoses that goes down to the oil cooler itself was Yo. loose and filled up the heat exchanger with oil. Oh, really? And it was just the smokiest, nastiest thing. And it must have, it was fine. I, it, I had a little bit of smoke here and there on the trip, Yo. but it was really bad now. And I had leaked somewhere between Nebraska and here. I leaked probably three quarts of oil out. Okay. So it could have been really bad. 
Yeah. You know, if I would not have been watching the oil pressure gauge or right. something like that. Yeah, it could have been. But I, it, it's all good. It doesn't work anymore. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to I'm going to take my carbs completely apart because they had a weird and that year had uh, what they call like a decel enrich, e- deceleration enrichment circuit, which is really goofy on those carbs. And basically, it's supposed to be when you let off so you don't backfire or cause pollution, it actually puts more fuel, enriches it. And so I got to pull all that off and go through. And I still have a lean spot somewhere. I'm wondering if I actually have an air leak, and that's why. Yeah, that could be. So that's why Every I want to go with through. Every goes back to vacuum leaks. Yeah. So <laughs> that's much. why I want to go through that. Uh, also have uh, went through like my whole blower system. That's working now. But I have tubes that I ordered the wrong tubes. Oh, what do you mean the wrong? They're like you know the paper corrugated like yeah. yeah. Well, I ordered ones for seventeen dollars each, and they came and they're three inches long. Oh, nice. That's and they're crazy. like, yeah, no, those are for where it goes to the defroster nozzles. I was like, well, it didn't say anything. It said blower motor connection tubes or something. Yeah. So I ordered the correct ones, and then I ordered a red line part, Chris. Oh yeah, what is it? Is it the beer tap that I saw? They're selling a beer tap now, which is interesting. No, I didn't see the beer right, tap. What is it? It's the blower motor cover. No, come on. Why? <laughs> so here's the deal. I'm, I'm, I'll let everybody know I'm in the process of working with some people to make floorboards okay. and the cover that you're talking about how I want it to be made. How is that? I will show you when they're done. I just want it to be simple okay. but improved. Okay. It's not going to be flashy. It's not going to be this something. This isn't flashy either. Yes, they Black are. aluminum. It's cool. It, it, but it's too thin. They're, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a big fan. But in the floorboards they have, say, they're like, Line. I mean, it's like right there. It's like you want everybody to know. These are going to be really subtle. Like, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'll see if it works out. Are they going to be aluminum? Uh, no, they will not be aluminum. Mm, skeptical. Either that or maybe I'll have Rungi make me aluminum ones. There you go. And polish those guys up. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, so we have uh, we have another listener question, but we're going to save it to till next week. Oh. Just because I want to get to our main topics. Okay. Since we're running, we are rambling a lot. Yeah, we are. Before we get into that, though, let's talk about one of our great sponsors, Further Performance. They're a local Twin Cities based automotive shop. They exclusively work on European cars, Volkswagens, Audis. They uh, will do air cooled stuff too. They always have cool projects around the shop there. They have a really cool new facility. They went from like a small place I used to go to to this massive, awesome shop now that's so well. well set up um they're all good guys over there and they're super honest they also uh are true enthusiasts you know so they they care about the car it's not just some grease monkey like i said who's making minimum wage over there you can really trust them with your car go check them out at sci perform i'm sorry further performance or uh fp tuned that's fptuned.com all right so the the i was trying to figure out what we wanted to talk about what i wanted to talk about this week okay and i was like oh winter's coming we'll talk about snow tires and I'm like, man, that's boring. It's kind of boring. <laughs> it's like really boring. So I, uh, I do have a story, like real quick, about snow tires that isn't boring. Okay. So I have a buddy who works at the Porsche dealer, and he said last year because he's moving, so he's going through his garage, and I got a bunch of stuff from him. It's more tires. Because <laughs> I didn't get Jake's more tires. Wheel tire. Emporium with more tires. Yeah, Jake's used tire and Wheel Emporium. No, I was helping him kind of clean out his garage. And I was like, oh, that's a cool cabinet, like tool cabinet chest thing. It was actually a service cart from the dealer. I was like, he's like, yeah, I probably don't want that. You can have it. I was like, oh, really? Sweet. He goes, yeah, there's one catch. You have to take it with everything that's in it. Oh, what was in it? 
the most random stuff. Like I have like 57 Audi lug bolts now. I have <laughs> key. I have a brand new Land Rover key. I have a brand new Porsche key, like Cayenne key for like, I don't know where they came you from. You just walk around Minneapolis. Whoop, 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 yeah. whoop, <laughs> no, it's new in the box. Oh, okay. So it hasn't been programmed. Those are expensive. I know. I should probably sell it or yeah. see if he wants it back. Um, what else was in there? Oh, I got a Ford Model T restoration handbook from like the 50s. Oh, that's cool. That was kind of cool. And I also got the dash clock for a 991 Porsche new in the box. Oh, the little. Oh, really? Yeah. So does he know all this? Stuff? I don't gonna, know. I might have to ask him if he wants his stuff back. Are you sure? <laughs> so I shouldn't ask him. You should ask him. Yeah, I should then ask him. Then, then and also like uh, 20 jugs of half used oil. Oh, Sweet. that was that was the that was what that he wanted to get rid of. Didn't want. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what he didn't want. Um, so I wanted to talk about. Um, oh, I didn't even get to the story. So Jesus <laughs> Christ! All right, this is what happens when we switch formats for three weeks. Um, so he was saying because he does have a bunch of tires there that I didn't take. Okay, but he had a set of winters, and he was like, "Yeah, this was uh, some woman had a Boxster that she came in. She was apparently moving to Florida, but it was like January, dead of winter, and she goes, "Well, I'm not going to need these down." here so just switch my summers on and they're like well you're still gonna have to drive in the snow to get here she's like no don't worry about it. i'm just i'm basically leaving this week not gonna worry about it i don't want these winter tires anymore they put the summers on she crashes into a light pole on her way out i bet she did just <laughs> so winter tires are a good thing guys well compared to a summer tire yes so i gotta buy um winter <laughs> tires for jess's car okay. i haven't bought them yet so if anybody has any recommendations for what their favorite winter tire is let me know because i don't yeah. I have no idea. So if anybody wants to hit us up, you know, what they think I should do for snow tires, that'd be cool. Okay. All right. So um, I didn't want to talk about snow tires. Chris, even. another stire story. No, no, I don't. Okay. So uh, I didn't want to talk about snow tires. So I'm trying to think about what uh, something that I really like and uh, that I could, you know, talk about, you know, kind of passionately and whatever. Okay. Just to, so I wanted to talk about the top five. I was going to do the best and worst cars of the 80s. Okay. But when I got into this and I started, like, writing all the things I like about these cars and the, and the things, I'm like, there's no way we can do best and worst. So maybe we'll do worst next week or okay. for one of the – maybe we'll do it for a midweek episode or something like that. But for So these are the be five best cars, in, in your opinion – In my opinion. From the 80s. Right. Why Why the 80s? Did you just pick a, a genre to talk about? Or? The 70s and 80s are kind of my favorite time for motoring. I think it's like close enough to when I was actually alive and looking at cars and stuff like that when I was little. Right. And, you know, when, even when it's like 1994, a lot of the 80s cars are still around. Yeah. So it's like that kind of era was when I started to really feel cars and get into cars. Um, and then I could compare them to what was coming out of the 90s and go, well, these are garbage. Yeah. So then I can look back at the 80s and be like, oh, I really like those. So these are some of the cars that um, either I really liked back then or I really like now or both. Okay. All right. So um, number five. This is a top five list. Okay. And so we're take, starting from so five remember, and going going down. Yeah. So rem yeah, well, we're not going to start at the first one. I don't know. Don't well, I didn't list. know if they were number actually five. in order. They are in order. Okay. Five to one. So this, is, this list is by no means... Like uh, okay. a, a, a list of commandments or whatever. The I'm really cars. skeptical now. Um, I am. I am usually right. <laughs> so this this list should apply to everybody. If you don't agree with this list, maybe we should talk, and I'll be able to convince you that sure that I'm right. But if you don't agree with me, I'd, I'd love to hear it. Okay. Um, and there's probably cars that I've left off this list, and I want you to think about what some of those cars might be. And when we're done, let's discuss one some of the ones that maybe I left out. Okay. Deal. Go ahead. All right. So number five yep. is the 1984 Mark One Mark One Volkswagen GTI. Yeah. So as you know, my first car ever was an 83 diesel. 
And I and I always wanted a GTI. Yep. Just because I had a diesel and had like 48 horsepower. So was 84 the first year of the GTI? 76 was actually the first year of the GTI. Um, and that was in Europe. So they got it in 1976. Kay. We got it in 1984. Uh, Canada got it in uh, in the 70s as well. But it was like some sort of weird detuned kind of like bullshit version of a GTI. Okay. Um, for One of the reasons why I like this car is kind of the birth of the hot hatch in the right. United States. Yeah. Um, the hot hatch kind of started in Europe before that. Right. There was a lot of cars. Um, it's designed by my favorite designer, Gijario. Yes. Who I really, really like. And some of my favorite cars by him are the Lotus Esprit. Yeah. The Maserati Ghibli. Okay. Which is a weird car. Um, that is, is that the one with the weird fenders where it's like angular? Not really. Okay. It kind of almost looks like a, uh, I don't know. You just got to look it up. It's okay. Like, it looks like other cars that he's designed, but what I really want is I want someone to slam one of those because I think they okay. would look really, really good low. So everybody go look up Maserati Ghibli yep. and imagine what it would be like slammed. Maybe someone can <laughs> Photoshop it and send it to me. Um, the BMW M1. Oh, yeah. Which, okay. Which was really. What did those have for an engine? That was a, uh, it was a V8. I, no, no, that was an inline six. That's what I was wondering. It's, like, it's an inline six. It's an inline six. It's an S38. Okay. Engine, I someone's going to correct me if I'm wrong, but it's an S38 with individual throttle bodies. I believe right. is what those are. They sound killer. Um, and it almost made this list. And I wanted to try and find a BMW to make this list, but um, nope. When did the E30 come out? The E30 was in the eighties. That's not on your list. It's not on my list. Hmm. Okay. I don't, it, it, the E30 M3, not on my list. They're so boring. They're underpowered. Okay. They're great balanced cars, but when you get in one and you drive one, they're not fast. They're okay. kind of like, you know, they got a cool motor that revs out, but they're not that. They have 192 horsepower. It's just like, okay. More than my car. <laughs> yeah, but at the time, there was other cars that were doing a lot more than that. I mean, obviously, the, the race history and the stuff that they had within its own. It's weird. Like, the E30 M3 is like God's chariot, right? That's what everybody says. Yeah. But it was only amazing in the context of what it was able to do within the racing that it was able to do with other cars that were kind of like it. But when you start comparing it to other things that were around at that time, as we'll go through in this list, okay, there's other cars that are that's more. The one, that's the one people are going to think that you excluded. Maybe. I don't really like that. I like the way it looks. I like the box flares. I love the interior. You know, some of the, the, the sport seats and everything that are in those right. cars are cool. Those cars for me are cool when they have a, an S52 swap or an S54 <laughs> swap, and they've actually got some power. Okay. I've never driven. I've driven one, but I've never driven one in anger. I've never been on the track in one. I'm sure they're amazing. I'm sure they're right. brilliant, but it's just not. It just doesn't do it for me. This is my list. That's your list. That's, okay. I'm sticking Continue. to it. Um, so, Number uh, four. No, no. I'm still talking about the GTI and my favorite cars by Gujario. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Um, the Scirocco. I really like the Scirocco. Okay. Um, the De Tommaso Mangusta. Oh, yeah. The Mangusta was weird. I like the Pintera better. Yeah. Well, the Pintera, that's too easy. And the Maserati Ghibli kind of looks like a Mangusta a little bit. Okay. Um, the Fiat Panda. Wait. I like the Fiat Panda. <laughs> and uh, and the, the, <laughs> okay. and the, the, the Zastava Yugo. <laughs> I like the Zastava Yugo. I enjoyed that car for a little bit. So he didn't have to that <laughs> you hated that car. Um, so I was going to ask you, do you know what GTI stands for? Uh, Grand Touring Injection. That is correct. It's Gran Turismo Inezione, which is Grand Tour Injection. Yep. Um, so the G, like I said, the GTI was in Europe since 90, 1976, and the Golf was supposed to be, be the car that saved them from air-cooled because they weren't selling no cars anymore. Yeah. And uh, Beetle wasn't selling, turned out. 
they decided that they were going to sell the GTI, and they didn't expect to sell more than 5,000 of them. Oh, wow. They were, like, really skeptical um, any any would even sell. And the Euro GTIs were really sweet. They had a, one of the engines that I would lust after yeah. with Mark 1s was what's called um, a Heron engine. Okay. So in, in here, we got what GTI was 1.8 liters. Yep. Uh, JH engine had 90 horsepower. Okay. And it was always mated to a 4K five-speed close-ratio gearbox. In Europe, the GTI had a 1.6 liter with high compression, nine and a half to one compression, huh. um, that made 110 horsepower. Oh wow! And it was a, it had dish pistons. It was a flat bottom head, extremely interference engine, <laughs> and it, and they and they rev like crazy. Yeah, they're super cool. They made 20 more horsepower than a car that had you know 10 percent more displacement or whatever it would come out to. Yeah, crazy. Um, so it was it was really really neat. So anyway, when they sold them here, they moved the production to Westmoreland, Pennsylvania, and which started in 1984. Um, they're fun cars. Have you driven a Mark One GTI stock? I don't know if I have actually. They're great. They weigh two thousand pounds. They have ninety horsepower. Super short gearbox. They came in black, royal red, diamond silver metallic, and cashmere white. And then they had a a, a red or blue velour interior. And it's like kind of like um, the red is all red, but the blue is blue with kind of like this red faded stripe down the yes, center. Yes, I've seen that. So on my the seats. my pick would be cashmere white mm-hmm. with a blue interior or silver with a blue interior. Mm-hmm. I don't really like the red or red of the black ones. Um, so why is this car on the list? Um, the hot hatch thing was crazy in Europe, but didn't catch on here till the GTI. And I yeah. think that it was cool to see that car come here. And like for a while, that, that car was just kind of like a, well, gas crisis car, right? That's sure. what the rabbit was. Sure. But when the GTI came here, it really started to like excite people. And it was the hot hatch and right. the movement that was already going on in Europe for, you know, five or six, seven years. People started to get it here. here. So here are some of the hot hatches that I like. Um, that kind of came from this, okay. from like the 76 GTI sure. and then on into the, the, I like the 84 just because. Well, that's the first year here. It's the first year here. And yeah. I, that was one of my first cars and I always wanted one. Yeah. So that's why it's on this list for me, other than being influential. Um, the Peugeot 205 GTI. Right. Um, never, these are cars that I think never would have happened without. Yeah. Without uh, you're, you're, I'm sure you're right. Peugeot 205 GTI, a Volkswagen Mark II GTI, the Golf Rally. Escort RS Turbo, Renault Renault 5 Turbo, the Mazda 323 Turbo, Lancia Delta Integrale, Ford Fiesta RS, the MG Metro, Audi Quattro, the Corolla AE86, the Dodge Omni GLH. Definitely wouldn't have happened. Right. The Honda Civic SI Hatch. And I was going to ask you, what do you think I'm forgetting? Are there any cars that I left out of the I, list? I don't think what you said, the Audi Quattro wouldn't have happened. Those are hatch, hatchbacks. Disagree. You with, think that would have happened? That anyway? would have happened. And there was one other one right after that. I don't know. That didn't one? fit. Oh, I don't know. You said Audi, and then you said what? Uh, what do we got here? Blah, blah. Audi Quattro. The Corolla A86. How is, no, not even related. Of course it is. The, yes, definitely related. Really? Yeah, you I, think that has success to Nobody was to... doing like crazy hatchback shit till the Volkswagen GTI and the, the Volkswagen hatchback came out. That's what started the Volkswagen movement, or the hatchback movement was the, the Golf. Okay. Well, well known, not debatable. It's not debatable that the original hot hatch is the VW GTI. I agree and with it, that. And that's the one that started the inception of all these other brands doing hatchbacks that were quick. Yeah. Something about the rear drive platform AE86 out of Japan just seems so different than hot hatch. I don't know. I think it might. Well, you might be right, but I think it's in the mix. Okay. Can we call it in the mix? Sure. All right. Number four, um, the AMG Hammer. Okay. So this is the Mercedes... Yeah, basically this is a uh, what is that? A W124 sure. chassis, I believe. An E-class or what is that? Yeah, it's a 300E. Okay. Well, originally a 300E. And then um, they... which 
So uh, it was designed by, or the Hans Werner Alfrecht. So this is a, just a micro history of AMG. Just like, okay, go. Just really, really <laughs> fast. Um, Hans Werner Alfrecht started AMG in the 60s and they built the, the 300 SEL 6.8, okay. which is called the Red Pig. And that's the, that's the, um, really meaty looking Mercedes with the headlights that are on top of each other. Oh, and sure. And it's got all the stickers all over it. It's red. And it's slammed. It's got little chunky tires on it. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? I don't. Get your phone and look up Red Pig Mercedes right now or whatever you need to do. Because that thing, it, that's what really, that car kind of solidified AMG's status. Um, at least as somewhere where you would want to take a car or somebody that knew what they were doing. Oh, cool. Yeah. And these are the guys that left. They left Mercedes to start doing AMG. I couldn't find out why. Um, obviously, Mercedes isn't going to be like, yeah, we sucked, so they left. So anyway, I couldn't figure out why they left. So the base price of an AMG hammer. Oh, hammer means in German the same thing it means in English, <laughs> which I thought was pretty cool. You know, hammer means. It's, know, it's a hammer. It's a hammer. Whether you're in Germany or in the United <laughs> States, a hammer is a hammer. Yeah. Um, the base price is $161,000. Wow. And that's basically a turnkey car. And this is in like 86, 87, yeah. 88. Um, if you already own a 300E and want to have it converted into a hammer, con uh, you can deduct 40 grand. So you can deduct the cost of the car. That leaves only $122,000, which breaks down like this. Kay. Mercedes Benz 5.6 liter KE Jetronic engine. Okay. Out of the, th I think it's a, S a five, uh, a 300 SEL engine. No. Okay. What is that engine out of? Shit. One of their bigger cars, though. Uh, it's out of the, it's a V8, it's a 32 valve V8 from the SEC. I don't okay. know. If they, I don't know if it was thirty-two valve to begin with, but it came out of the out of the SEC engine, uh, SEC car. W one twenty-six rear differential. Um, if you wanted to, they'll convert it from five point six liters to six liters for another however many thousands of dollars. Wow. Um, came with a suspension kit for fifteen hundred. Uh, uh, AMG wheels with Pirelli tires were five thousand. The AMG Aero body kit and installation and painting of body and parts thirty five hundred labor eighteen thousand. So it comes out to you know one hundred twenty two thousand dollars if you want one of these, which is like obscene. That in, is crazy in that time frame. It's, yeah, they're really really expensive, which is why they only had. They're just at the time this some of the reviews. I was reading old reviews of the cars. Okay, it's like thirteen of them. Right. So they're really uncommon. They sell for tons of money now. Um, I couldn't find any recent auctions, but they sell for a lot of money. So the original engine was a three liter inline six, and I okay. think it's a dual overhead cam engine, okay. which is which is neat. It's 177 horsepower. Um, the new engine is a six liter, 6,000 RPM redline, 400 horsepower, 400 torque engine wow. from the SEC. Uh, 9.8 to one pistons with AirGuard Melcher. He's one of the original AMG guys. Mm -hmm. He designed the cylinder head for these cars. Um, so four valve double overhead cam cylinder heads. And they have this cool spoiler that's like integrated into the trunk, yeah, which is which is really really neat. Um, aluminum block. Oh, really? Aluminum heads. The thing weighed 800 pounds heavier than a normal car. Um, huh. Because of this, they put uh, W126 springs, suspension, disc brakes, transmission, drive shaft, and rear differential differential on it. Zero to sixty in five seconds. What do you think the top speed was? Oh wow! Uh, I have no idea. It'd have to be. 160 190 wow 190 which um and the thing is not aerodynamic no <laughs> no it is a brick they're, they're, these things are taxi cabs yeah all over the world at right the time. good point they're taxis um here's what i really like and I, okay and i couldn't help but drawing the comparison to singer okay okay so in the interior they give you a steering wheel uh -huh. that's cool an instrument cluster that reads 190 miles per hour right. dash and door trim and floor mats that's it. That's the, the rest only is like unique suspension, brakes, motor. They right. don't, it's not like they're gilding the lily with this. I mean, it right. is like 
it's just felt. Yeah, it's, let's just, performance. Let's perform. Let's do as many burnouts at 170 <laughs> miles an hour as we possibly can. Um, so here's the real significance of this car. Okay, is this car is what caused Mercedes to really take notice of AMG, and then in the, in the 90s they brought them into the fold as part right. of the real the real. Um, now they just make whatever. So it's kind of the predecessor to the, uh, the E63 AMG. Okay, sure. So that's kind of the significance of this car. Not only was it a just bonkers fast saloon that was just a killer car, but it actually really laid the foundation for AMG at Mercedes for them to work together. What year did that car come out, the Hammer? Uh, 86 to 89, I think. When When was the E30 M3? Uh, 88 to 92 or 89 to 92 or something like that. Yeah. So could you argue that this, the Hammer, was basically set the pace for all these like hot saloons? No. Oh no! I think that the the, <laughs> the E39 M5 came out at a similar time. Oh, okay. You know, I don't. I think it was already was, a thing. It was already a thing that they were doing anyway. Yeah. No one, no one at BMW was worried about what AMG was doing with this hammer because it, they made it was they so sold, low volume. So thirteen of them. Yeah. But they probably started to worry is when they got in with Mercedes. Yeah. And started making performance cars because at the time Mercedes was was not really doing anything. You could right. buy one of these through Mercedes if you wanted to. But it was not an official thing like it is sure. now. So Mercedes took notice and saw the potential profit center and bragging rights that could be theirs and eventually began to offer the base conversion from the AMG's a standard model, the 500E, 100% paving the way for the E63 AMG. So imagine what else you could have had in the 80s for 100 and, what did I no say? No kidding. $170,000. That's so crazy. It <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Okay. All right. Okay. So number three. Number three. The 1988 Lamborghini Countach 500 Quattro Volve. Which yes. is the four valve uh, 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 V12 from right. from Lamborghini. Now, what Countach. I thought was interesting when I read this is over the 16 years that the Countach was available, mm-hmm. they only sold 2,000 of them. Really? They are incredibly rare. Um, did you know that Countach is a fairly profane expression in the original dialect? Uh, Google <laughs> will politely tell you it just means wow. <laughs> But it's actually like a really profane way of saying wow. So you can just walk around <laughs> saying holy Countach now if you, if you want I to. I like that. Okay. Um, Ferrari, just to give you an example of the numbers of these cars that were developed, Ferrari yeah. sold uh, uh, 512TRs and Testarossas five times as many as the Countach. So there's wow. five times as many Testarossas out there. The original MSRP was 135000 It had a 5.1 liter, four valve, 455 horsepower, uh, V12 that revved out to 7,000 RPMs. In Europe, it came with six downdraft Webers. Here, it was also Bosch Kajektronic. Now, Kajektronic okay. is the same thing that the, the Hammer had. Yeah. Right? That's CIS. Right. Yep. Yeah. So they had CIS here. So they went from four, 455 horsepower to 414 horsepower. Ooh. You know, so thanks, California. Yeah. yeah I would much rather have the carbs. So the wheelbase of a 1988 Ford Taurus is 106 inches. Okay. The wheelbase of a 1988 Lamborghini Countach is 96 inches. Oh, they're teeny. They are. The wheelbase is extremely short. Like, I just wanted really? to give some sort of perspective of how small yeah. these cars are. And when you stand next to them, they're just like. They're super low. They're super low and, and slim. Like, the when you roll the window down, it's like opening a mail slot in someone's door. <laughs> <laughs> there's really, like, there's really nothing there. Um, so here's why I, I picked this car. Because generally, whenever you read reviews about this car, it's awful. Oh, no, really? It's like. I can't drive it. The clutch feels like I'm trying to push an aircraft carrier away from the dock with my foot. Like It's just like nobody really loves the way the car drives. Once they're in the engine and stuff, they say the engine's great. Sure. But that's about it. They're like, if you try to run the air conditioning, it overheats. You know, you need to replace the clutch every five minutes. But this car was um, was iconic for nothing to do with how it drives. 
Um, it was iconic for its 80s flair yeah. and the posters that were everywhere. I can't think of a ton of posters that had women in them before the Countach. So I, I, did this car like solidify the girls in cars movement with gar- <laughs> cars and pictures and posters and everything else? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's place on this list proves how much cars are so much more than transportation. It's about how they can move the needle on culture. And I think that's what this car did is it really pushed the supercar thing. Yeah, you're right. I mean, without this car, would we have like the F40 and a Porsche would probably do a 959 anyway. But would we have all these other supercars that came after um, the car? Was, I feel like the car was specifically made for boys that want to be men. Because <laughs> you uh, to drive. This I, thing I would disagree. I think it's for men who want to be boys. Yes. How about both of those? Yeah. It's, it's both of those. Um, it wasn't a design on efficiency or power or anything. It was just a design of excess. Yeah, and just um, cool. What would yep. look cool? How many more vents can we put on it? Yep. Would this wing look cool? Like, right. The styling is just so out, out of there. control. It is out of control. Especially um, the later ones. Every supercar, I think, wishes it was this one. Yeah. You know, if, but I mean, every just supercar so wishes. wild. No manufacturer since that car has made an impact on culture like that car did. Um, it was designed in a period of time that we'll never see again, ever. Like yeah. that, like you come out with the McLaren Senna, no, like where's the posters? True. And, or you go into Target, look at the posters. Yeah. There's no Senna. There's no McLaren. This. There's no Ferrari uh, Enzo. You know, there, none sure. of that stuff is there. But this car was everywhere. It was on everybody's wall. It was just. Yeah. I mean, it was really, really a special car in the True. way that it moved culture. So as a car, eh. But as a as an icon in in, yeah. in automotive history, I agree with that. Deal. Um, here's one cool fact before we move on: the Quattrovolve was homogulated into FIA Group B. Oh wow! For Group B racing, and sadly, like like the the RS2000 or whatever, we never get to see it through the Group B ban. So fucking Nancy's ruined so everything for everybody. It was gonna rally race. I, a Countach. I think so. That would have been nuts. It would have been amazing. What happened to us? Oh my god! That would have been nuts. Um, it would have been insane. Um, so number two, number two on the list, 1987 roof Yellowbird CTR. Yeah. So I, you knew this one was going to be on the list because I showed you a film. Did you, right. did you, where did you think this one was going to be on my list? Do you think um, it was going to be number one or where did you think? No, I didn't think it was going to be number one. Actually, I'm surprised it's above the Countach. It, I don't think it had the societal impact. No, no, it was too. I think even though it was amazing, I think it was still niche. And I think that it's relevance didn't come till later. Okay. I think that its rele- relevance in the movement of Porsche didn't come until the invention of the internet. Sure. When you people know? are like, what is, what this, is this crazy thing? Because where would you see the movie, the film? The, the film's called, what is it called? Um, Roof Fascination yeah. is the name of the film with, with we're getting ahead of ourselves. But without that film, you wouldn't have known about it. You wouldn't have known about it. And you, how would you see the film right. back then? You just, right. You know, without being like really into it or into magazines or where you could probably order it from mail order or something. Now the stuff's everywhere. So this car was based on that on an eighty-seven nine eleven Carrera three point two. Wasn't based on a nine thirty because of uh, weight. So oh, they, interesting. They wanted a lighter car. Um, it's a twin a twin turbo three point four liter, four hundred sixty three horsepower, mm-hmm. four hundred eight foot pounds of torque, um, which was underrated. Most of them had over five hundred horsepower. Oh wow. Um, I don't know why they did that, but that's what they did. <laughs> it's four, it was four hundred pounds lighter than the standard car once the time once they were done with it. Wow. Um, zero to sixty was three point six five seconds, <laughs> which is less than the uh I think it's less than the nine five nine. I think it beat the nine five nine, which yeah. had five hundred horsepower. That's like five tenths of a second different. Two hundred and thirteen wow. mile per hour top speed, which Jeez. is the fastest production car of its time. 
Yeah. Um, the, not surprised. It could outperform the 959 and the Ferrari <laughs> F40 and the Lamborghini Diablo, accelerating from 0 to 107.8 seconds. And it had a wow. higher top speed. Um, they didn't like the transmission that Porsche had, so they designed their own transmission for the car. Oh, really? It its own five-speed that they uh, they designed for it. So performance aside, why is this car important? Why is it iconic? Okay. Um, bring in Stefan Roser, who uh, in 1989, he drove the Nürburgring for a film called Roof Fascination, yeah. like we mentioned. Um, he, and when you watch this film, and everybody can go look it up, he's, he's no helmet on. He does not have a race suit. Nope. He has no driving gloves. He's wearing loafers, stonewashed jeans, and white socks. And in this film, he's passing Volkswagen Golfs. He's passing motorcycles or other cars on the track. And you can just see his little loafers, like, working the pedals. And he is really, really active on that steering wheel. <laughs> yes. That's what stood out to me when I watched it again because I had seen this before. But that front end just looks so darty and lightweight and all over the place. He's just yeah. correcting constantly. So this thing is definitely performed but it looks like it was an absolute monster just like oh yes it feels so like hard to handle you're just like wrestling an elephant to the ground yes it just seems crazy it's like uh i was trying to think of a way to explain it. it's like it's like watching a horror film you know you're really going to enjoy it but it's going to scare the hell out of you the entire time <laughs> you know um and, i like that uh, uh so the reason why I really picked this car beyond the performance is, is really that film and what i in my opinion what it did for porsche and roof you know, yeah. as time went on, um, even though it was a roof built car, the video inspired tons of people to lust for a Porsche turbo anyway. True. You yeah, Because a lot true. of people would look at it and be like, oh, it's just a Porsche. Right. They don't really know. So they yeah, just that's want what's one. Very unique about roof. All right. What do you think the number one car is? From the 80s. Well, it's not the E30 M3. Is it? No. It's not. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. What is it? I don't know. It is the Ferrari F40, okay. Enzo's final supercar. Yeah, um, F40 is let's nuts. Let's get the specs out of the way, and we'll talk about talk okay. about the rest. And you have the clip I ready to play? Yes, I do. Um, it has a twin turbo three liter out of the 288 GTO, okay. um, which is four, 470 horsepower, 7,000 RPM, zero to 60 in four and a half seconds, 199 mile an hour top speed, zero to 108.3 seconds. Um, a magazine called Autosport. Auto, Motor, and Sport, which is a German magazine, mm -hmm. tested two, but neither could top 200 miles an hour. They kept getting to 199. And oh, they could not get no. to <laughs> And then Road and Track and Car and Driver tested it. They got 196, 197. They couldn't get they 200. They just couldn't get it. They just could not squeeze that. Another mile per hour out of it. Couldn't do it. Um, this car was built to be uh, by Enzo to be his legacy. He knew oh, he, really? He knew he was dying. Um, and he wanted to build a streetcar. He actually brought the Ferrari Evolution team, which does race car stuff, into the fold to build this car. Wow. Um, he says, I expressed my wish to the engineers, build a car to be the best in the world, and now the car is here. That's what they said when they pulled the cover off the car. Wow. Um, Enzo also famously, famously had said, aerodynamics are for people who can't build engines. Yep, I Ironically, that. the last car Enzo ever built before his death, the F40, was the most aerodynamic car of its era. Yeah. So he, he got the aerodynamics, or the engineers got it figured out anyway. Um, a figure from the Ferrari marketing department was quoted as saying, we wanted it to be very fast, sporting in the extreme, and Spartan. Yeah. And I think it is spartan in, definitely in, indeed what year was that it's like 88 yeah 87 later 80s um it was not built forward looking like the 959 it was built for right fucking now <laughs> and that, that's one of the things that i really like about it is it was built for now it's like we're going to build this car we're going to build it right now for now we're not going to try and like we're not going to develop this for the next platform we're right. not going to put all this technology in the car and figure out how this is going to help us you just proceed down the, the road. best car they yeah, could we're not going to proceed down the road map of manufacturing they just like <laughs> we want to build the craziest shit 
right now. Yeah. And that's what they did. And that's that is why I love, love this car. Um, it was built, they would have built it with or without the 959 there. Everybody's like, well, they built it in response to the 959. I'm like, no, I think they just built it because they wanted to build it. Yeah. Um, it stood on its own. How many well. did they make? Do you know? I don't, but they made a lot more than they did of the 959. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so here's a couple, here's two quotes. Okay. And then I have a question for you. Oh, and okay. We'll, and we'll try and figure out the question after I read these. So Autocar said, I do not yet know what, how, whether, I do not yet know how whether the F40 is tractable in traffic. Fearsome on the wet, harsh on bumpy roads, or too noisy on long journeys. It has no luggage space, and getting in and out is awkward. But I do know this. On a smooth road, it is a scintillatingly fast car that is docile and charming in its nature. A car that is demanding, but not difficult to drive. Blessed as it is with massive rep, and even more importantly, superb balance and manners. You can use its performance. The closest any production car maker has yet to come to a race car levels, and you can revel in it. So that was Autocar. Um, Gordon Murray from Motor Trends says the following. It's lack of weight that makes the Ferrari so exciting. There's nothing else magic about the car at all. They're asking two and three inch diameter steel tubes at a chassis based datum level to do all the work. And it shows. You can feel the chassis flexing on the circuit and it wobbles all over the place on the road. It really does shake about. And of course, once you excite the chassis, the door panels start rattling and squeaking. Whereas the cars feel where where whereas the other cars feel tout and solid, this one's like a big go-kart with a plastic body on it. He severely criticized the old racing technology. It's not even 60s technology. From a frame point of view, it's 50s twin tube technology, not even a space frame. It's only got local frames to hold the bulkhead to the dash, attach the front suspension, rear suspension, and roll bar. And then you have the marketing Kevlar glues in within a quarter inch of rubber. So that guy hated the car. <laughs> so here's a question for you before we play the clip. Okay. Is the Ferrari F4, F40 better now than it was then because of what it represents now so is that car better now than when it came out is it more relevant now because of looking back at where technology is gone where we are with autonomy and electronic cars and everything like that yeah i get your point i i don't know because i didn't i wasn't there when it came out you know what i mean but as we're here to speculate that's our job okay (laughs) yeah it might be because the other thing you talk about you know when you talked about how this was the golden age of motoring regardless you said that because now we have kind of the the context and the luxury of being able to look back with some sort of uh, context i guess right yeah hindsight hindsight yeah so yeah you might have a good point that it's more relevant now than it was when it came out I think I think that's. I'm glad you agree with me. All right. Uh, so I asked Akeem Anshite, Anshite, who is the. This is an, a, a clip from an interview I did with him yep. a couple of years ago when I was talking about his Porsche, and I asked him where things were going with Tesla and autonomous cars and everything like that. And he he gave he talked about it a little bit. I just want to play it for you guys, and uh, we'll go from there. As if we would be in the middle of the 1970s, and the quartz watch has come out. I don't want to compare. Uh, Tesla to the quartz watches of the 1970s but in that moment where the quartz watches were starting to be successful that was the kickstart of the mechanical watches returning to beauty exactly and appreciation and a similar thing will happen here this will not be the dominant volume kind of uh, project but at that time when uh, automated cars and all electrified cars are becoming the volume cars the connoisseur cars are becoming even more precious in these kind of projects in that moment where the horse was not the the means of transport anymore 
but the tram and the car became the means of transport. The horse was becoming more valuable as a sports horse, no? as, a, as a riding horse, as a, as a horse, as an animal to enjoy. And similar things are happening with watches, similar things are happening with cars, and same with motorcycles everywhere, we see that. And uh, I, I firmly believe, and this is the reason why our car, uh, also the Bugatti, looks the way it does. Uh, that's why it also doesn't have a hybrid drivetrain. It's this last pure mechanical exercise that will be still be valuable in 10, 20 or 50 years down the road. And as much as I love a LaFerrari, but I do not know what's happening to this hybrid drivetrain in 20 years' time. Uh, completely outdated. There's actually one interesting case. Sorry, this, this takes a while. That an F40, for example, has been produced many more numbers than a 959. No? And the 959 was quite a bit more advanced vehicle at the time, but the F40 is, quite, is worth quite a lot more money than the 959, even though the 959 is a much more precious, uh, technically advanced vehicle. But half of the technique that is in the 959 is totally outdated today. You know, ABS was something totally revolutionary uh, at that time, but it's so standard today. And F40 is just this brutal kind of race car adaption for the road. And even though there were more F40s built than the 959, it's the more valuable car today. And it's a good example how technique keeps its value over time. And that has something to do again with my business and Bugatti. What is valuable in 10 years' time and 50 years' time? Interesting. So there you go. It's technique is what holds value over time. And technique. I think, I think that's kind of the, for me, that's the takeaway on that. And I hope everybody could hear that because it wasn't showing up here oh. on my waveform. But I think everybody probably yep. still heard it. So um, that's kind of my feeling on that car as well, especially because it's always compared to the 959. Right. I do like his, just the little um, anecdote about how like the 959 was so revolutionary and so cutting edge, like it had that analog brakes. Well, nowadays that's nothing crazy or new, you know, it's, it it's in literally in every car. So if you're just trying to make the most technologically advanced, it won't age well. Exactly. Because it's just going to be normal. So how do we apply that to what Tesla is doing with their cars? Those things are going to be completely worthless in a matter right. of years. Um, I see what you mean. Yeah, another way you can look at this, too, is um, nobody's taking F40s, which uh -huh. they made way more of than a 959, and being like, how do we improve on these? How do we make these better? How do we make these cars more exciting to drive today, like uh, Canapa is doing with the 959? Yeah. They're like, they had to take the car, re-engineer it, add a bunch more power, do stuff to the gearbox, the driveline, you know, kind of like spruce up the interior a little bit they did all kinds of different things to make the car like that they could sell for you know a million dollars or whatever plus the cost of the car huh. you know so they do all these things to kind of no who's doing that with f 40 right you, you wouldn't you wouldn't mess with you it. wouldn't touch it because right. it's perfect yeah so that is why it is my number one car in the 80s is the ferrari f40 it's hard to argue with that on that note We'll see you guys on <laughs> Thursday. I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes if you can. Head over to uh, patreon.com slash overcrest and support the show. Um, I really appreciate it. It was good to be back in here again with you, Jake. Absolutely. And we'll see you guys soon. Take care. All right.